Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 10. Uh, this morning, last week, we saw Jesus heal the blind man, and if you remember from that story, he was treated pretty poorly by the religious leaders of his day. Um, the people who should have cared for him didn't seem to care much at all for this man who was blind and could now see. So it's fitting this morning as we get into chapter 10 that Jesus contrasts himself with the religious leaders and he uses uh, that wonderful metaphor of the, the shepherd and his sheep uh, to help us to do so. Let's, so. let's look at this passage now, John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all on his own, he he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray simply this morning. Oh, would you help your sheep to hear your voice through your word, by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get started, I have a little bit of a confession to make. As I was trying to prepare for this sermon, I found myself on YouTube. Um, but I was really, I was doing research for you this morning. Uh, I, I typed into that little search box, sheep are stupid, to see what I could find. And so I have some findings for you. First of all, there's some conflicting data out there. Some people think that sheep are pretty smart, and there's some reasons to think so. But yet, sheep do have some unusual behavior. Did you know that if a sheep finds itself on its back, like it's just going to lay there and die unless you help it over? So if you ever see a sheep laying on his back, help him get back over. He's just going to lay there and die because they have flat backs or something, evidently. I don't know this stuff. Anyway, (laughs) there was this one sheep who was caught in the ditch. And and the farmer goes, and he helps get this sheep out of the ditch. 
and back through the barbed wire. And what does the sheep immediately do? He just runs out and then immediately just runs back, runs right through the barbed wire fence and right back stuck in the ditch again. The worst of all, um, shepherds were out with about, um, how many was it, like 1,500 sheep. And they were grazing, and so the, the shepherds took the time to have breakfast, and one of the sheep decided to jump over a cliff. Then the other 1,500 sheep followed. It's not funny. Anyway, um, 450 of them died. Um, I guess the last 1,000 had a little bit softer place to land as they were jumping over, as sad as, as that is. Uh, what's the moral of, of all of this? You know, regardless whether sheep are smart, stupid, wh- whatever they are, sheep sure seem to be kind of needy. They're vulnerable. They, they tend to wander very much as we see in Scripture, what, that, that famous passage from Isaiah, we all like sheep. What do we do? We go astray is this theology that we learn from Scripture. And, and regardless of what a sheepologist, I don't know if that's a thing, but regardless of what they might tell us about a sheep, what we want to focus on today, what, what does Scripture kind of tell us about sheep? Sheep are used as an imagery to help us to understand who we are and to understand ultimately who Jesus is. Now, our passage understands the vulnerability of sheep. Jesus understands their vulnerability, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And here we hear this reference, I think, to the religious leaders, the the ones that we heard from last week, these ones who were very unkind, to say the least, uh, to this blind man, right, who did not shepherd him well. They were like, Jesus is saying, thieves and robbers, They shouldn't be where they are in the fold, and and what are they doing? They're doing harm to the sheep. That's what the thief and robbers do. There there is this theme in Scripture of bad shepherds. Ezekiel 34 is this great place to go to. I encourage you actually to read it this afternoon, read it this week, um, where Ezekiel prophesies about the failure of Israel's shepherds. The religious leaders who are supposed to shepherd the people, what do they do? We read this in Ezekiel Chapter 34, verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. That's what thieves and robbers do. Bad shepherds don't shepherd their sheep well. And what is God's response in Ezekiel? He says this, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. And that great prophecy here in our passage today, it comes true right before our eyes. That moment has arrived. That descendant of David is here. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, as we're going to see, is here. And so Jesus, he contrasts himself with those robbers, those thieves, what does he say, verse 2, but he who enters by the door, this is the one who, who has a right to enter, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, what do we see? The, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And then the end of the verse, or verse 4, the, the sheep, what do they do? They, they, they know the voice of their shepherd. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then down in verse 8, we read this, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep 
did not listen to them. So first, Jesus here, he talks about this gatekeeper. Maybe uh, it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going on here, but maybe the idea is like a few families or maybe just one family. You know, they, they have a sheepfold. Maybe they share this place and they hire somebody to guard it at night, right, to guard over their flock. And when the true shepherd comes, what? He has a right to come. And he's immediately recognized by the gatekeeper. He's immediately let in to the sheepfold. But what's even more important here is what? It's what we just heard is that it's not just the the gatekeeper that recognizes the shepherd. It's the sheep. The sheep recognize their shepherd. They they recognize the voice of the shepherd, not the voice of the stranger in verse 5. The the sheep don't listen to them, verse 8, right? Back to YouTube. Um, There's all these videos of people like going on um, like field trips, if you will, visitors to sheep farms, right? And they all try this. You know, everybody tries to, to utter, you know, to shout out the shepherd's call. And they say the words right. They say it with the right intonations and everything. And maybe a sheep will kind of like, look. Most of them just totally ignore it, right? But they all just stand there. They continue to do their thing. And then, of course, the shepherd comes up. And the shepherd says the exact same words, exact same tones and everything. And what suddenly happens? All the sheep. All, all, all their head sheeps. It's not a, it's hard. Anyway, it's hard. <laughs> all the sheep look. And then they start coming. And then they start running to their shepherd. Why? Because they recognize the voice of their shepherd. Recognize the voice of their shepherd. Jesus says, all who are mine will recognize my voice. You'll, you'll recognize the voice of the shepherd. In the next chapter in John, what we'll get there in a couple of weeks, we're going to see, a, actually, a, I think which is one of the most beautiful pictures of this, Lazarus is, of course, dead, and he's in the tomb, right? And he's decaying, and it's gross. And Jesus says what? With a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus comes out. Why does he come out? Because his shepherd called him. And even death, even death does not stop one of his sheep from hearing his voice. And Lazarus comes out. We, he, he recognized, even in death, he recognized the voice of his shepherd. But that's not even the most incredible part of what we're reading right now. But back to verse 3, what do, we, what do we see there? That he knows his sheep. What do we read? He, he calls them, he calls his own sheep, and he, he calls them by name. And down in verse 14, what did he, what does he say? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. We, we talked about my own knowing me, but, but he says, I, I know my own. I, I, I know my sheep. Now, you and I, we can imagine a flock of sheep, and what do you see when you see a flock of sheep? It's not really a trick question. You see a flock of sheep, Right? You watch an NFL game this afternoon or you go to an NFL game, what do you see? You see a crowd of people. That's what we see. Jesus says, no, whenever I look at that, when I look at that flock, when I look at that crowd, I don't just see a crowd. I don't just see a flock of sheep. He sees individuals. He sees you. If you're in Christ, he sees you and he knows you by name. And he intimately knows you even better than you know yourself. He knows your mind, your affections. He knows us inside and out. And how 
How intimately does he know us? Verse 15. I don't know if you caught this when I was reading it earlier. He says this. How intimately does he know us? Just as, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's how intimately he knows his, his sheep, that incredible intimacy between the first and the second persons of the Trinity and all of eternity, and he says it's with that kind of intimacy, and it's that well. It, it, I, I know my sheep that well. I love the way Spurgeon puts it. He puts it far better than I can. He says this, I cannot conceive a stronger comparison. Dost thou know how much the Father knows the Son who is his glory, his darling, his alter ego, his other self, yea, one God with him? Dost thou know how intimate the knowledge of the Father must be of his Son, who is his own wisdom, I, his own self, the Father and the Son are of one spirit. We cannot tell how intimate is that knowledge, and yet so intimately, so perfectly, does the great shepherd know his sheep. He goes on to talk about a couple of the ways that, that he knows his sheep. He, he, he knows our, our persons, our age, our, our character, the number of hairs upon our heads. He has intimate knowledge of us. He knows our constitutions. He knows those that are weak and feeble. He knows those that are nervous and frightened, those that are strong, those that are sleepy, those that are brave, those that are sick. Those that are sorry, worried, or wounded. Those who are hunted by the devil. Those who are caught up between the jaws of the lion, shaken till the very life is almost driven out of them. He knows their feelings, their fears, their frights, their secrets in and out. Every one of us better than any one of us knows ourselves. He, he knows our persons. He knows who we are. He knows all of the trials in which we go through in our life. And Spurgeon goes on to say this. He knows our sins. He did not buy his sheep in the dark, Spurgeon says. He did not choose us without knowing all the devious ways of our past and future lives. He knows you in his heart. You are peculiarly dear to him. You're approved of him. You're accepted by him. He knows you by acquaintance with you, not by just hearsay. He knows you by communion with you. He has been with you in sweet fellowship. He has read you as a man reads his book and remembers what he reads. He knows you by sympathy with you. He is a man like yourself. He knows what sore temptations mean, for he has felt the same. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the points wherein you suffer most. For in every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows had a part. Do you know how intimately he knows you? If you're one of his sheep. He knows your person. He knows your trials. He, he knows your sins. He knows you fully. And therefore, if you are his, you have no fear. Should have no fear of going before him, going to him. There is absolutely nothing to hide. I mean, we still try, don't we? We still try to pretend like there's some facade and there's some things that he can't see, but he, he knows you. And he loves you as you are. Yes, yes, he wants things in your life to change, of course, but he loves you. And you have nothing to fear. So the sheep, they hear his voice. And he knows them and what does he do with his sheep? We read he leads them, verse 4. 
middle of verse 4. What does he do? He goes before them. And the sheep, they follow him. Now, this isn't like Yellowstone, you know, where they, they drive the cattle, right? Where, where they push them. That's not the picture here, is it? But this is a shepherd leading his sheep. We could go back to YouTube and the videos on the difference between um, Western driving of sheep. In the West, you drive your sheep, I guess. But in the East, they lead their sheep. The shepherd goes first, and the sheep follow. And that's the picture here. And what a beautiful and perfect picture for us of, of what discipleship is called to look like. That we're called to follow him. To follow Jesus. To take up our cross and follow him. Now, this leaves the people confused. As we've seen over and over in John, it's like the people, Jesus keeps speaking and everybody just winds up confused. And we see that yet again. They're confused, verse 6, by this figure of speech. They didn't understand what he was saying. And here it might be just good, and we've seen it already. But yet again, why is it that they couldn't understand? It, it, the problem does not lie with Jesus, okay? It, the problem is not with his metaphors. The problem isn't his teaching style. The problem is his hearers. They're not his sheep, so they don't hear his voice. And that's what's going on here. That's why this confusion, because they, they, they don't hear his voice. They can't hear it. They, literally, they hear it, but they, they can't truly hear the voice of their shepherd. So Jesus does what he does. He goes on to it. Okay, let's talk about this some more. And so he expands upon what he's talking about and actually changes around some of the metaphors. Just a minute ago, there was um, th this gatekeeper. But now we read something different. Verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. You know, previously he spoke of that gatekeeper. Now Jesus is saying something different. No, I, no there's no longer a gatekeeper there. That's I am. I am the door. I am the gate. I'm the one who manages access to the sheep. The story told by a 19th century um, biblical scholar who went to the Holy Land to visit and um, he Spent some time with a shepherd, not a Jewish shepherd. He was from another faith, but he, he was showing him, he showed him the sheepfold. He showed him where the, the sheep go in at night with the four walls around it. And he, he says, whenever they go in there, they're perfectly safe. The, the biblical scholar said, but there's no door. And what did the, scholar, what did the, the shepherd say? He said, I am the door. There's somebody, he doesn't have a background in scripture, but he says, I am the door. What do you mean you're the door? Shepherd says, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in that open space. That one little open space where there's no walls. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Now we contrast that, of course, with these religious leaders we've seen. Verse 10, the thief, what do they come to do? This thief and robber, what do they come to do? They come to steal and destroy. And then just a little bit later, verses 12 and 13, he, he talks about a hired hand who is, again, I think, illustrative of the religious leaders. What do these hired hands do? They're not shepherds. They, they, they don't own the sheep. And so what do they do? They see a wolf coming. They leave the sheep. They flee. And the wolf snatches and scatters him. And why does he flee? Because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. 
So what is he saying? He's comparing himself up against these thieves and robbers, these hired hands who are what? They're just totally self-interested. They're really after themselves and their own glory in one way or another. And Jesus is saying, no, a good shepherd, what does he do? He protects his sheep. He watches over them. He's not self-interested. His interest is in the safety and the protection of his sheep. The good shepherd will not allow anyone to get to his sheep. He protects him. He is the door. And so if you are here this morning, if you are his, if you're one of his sheep, you are safe. You're safe and you're secure. And to those who are his sheep, what does he say? Verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is saying here, not not only am I the protector, okay, the, the, the one that keeps the wolves away, he also says I'm the provider, right? I'm the one who allows you to find good pasture. I'm the one that feeds my sheep. And here we're reminded of how needy sheep are, how much they need a shepherd. Maybe you saw that viral video not too many years ago of that um, abandoned sheep in Australia that had just gotten totally weighed down in wool, found out in the wilderness or whatever, 75 pounds they cut off of him. If he had been left out there longer, he would have died. The sheep desperately need the shepherd. They're, 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 they're needy, and, and he comes and he meets the needs. He is the great provider, not just the protector, but the provider. And by being the gate, he is... This door, by being this door, he's the only entry point. He's the only way in. There's no other means of entry. He's the only way to get in to the sheepfold. And those who do enter in, though, through him, what does he say? Are saved. Saved. Saved for what? Into verse 10, what does he say? I came that they may have life have it abundantly. He saves us for life. Life, yes, now. Life now, united to Him, but eternal life with Him for all of eternity in the new heaven and new earth. He comes to give life and to have it so that we might have it abundantly. And how is it that the shepherd accomplishes this? How is he able to save Jesus tells us, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, as we think about this good shepherd, we we need to be reminded, first of all, sometimes we don't have a great view of shepherds. I I love the way D.A. Carson puts it. One commentator, he says this. He says, many people in the West are inclined to think of shepherds as sentimental beings, perhaps somewhat effeminate, with their arms just full of cuddly lambs. Is that the picture you have of a shepherd? Just, oh, so sweet. The English adjective good here, the good shepherd, doesn't help much to dissuade these misconceptions. But the shepherd's job was tiring, manly, sometimes dangerous. Remember, he's the one who protects his sheep. He protects them from wolves. This, this good shepherd is a noble shepherd. It's the shepherd par excellence, if you will, the, the best possible shepherd. And back to Ezekiel 34, we get a picture of what that shepherd does, what he, what he looks like. 
If you read this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, God says, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. That is the picture of a good shepherd, not just meek and mild, but one who does everything for his sheep who seeks them, who brings them back, who provides for them, who protects them, who watches over them, who risks his own life for them. Maybe you remember David uh, on that day of uh, David and Goliath. David comes to Saul, right, to say why he has the, why he should be able to go out and fight Goliath. And what does he say? He says, you know, I used to keep my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came, what did I do? I went after him and I struck him down. I delivered him out of the mouth, your servant. He tells Saul, has struck down both lions and bears. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd protects his sheep. He even risks his life for his sheep. But if we think about it, it would seem silly, though. It's one thing to risk your life for a sheep. It's all another to lay down your life for a sheep. Okay? Because why? Because a shepherd's life is far, far more valuable than any of his sheep, Right? Or even than all of his sheep added together. Not to mention, if the the shepherd lays down his life, then what? Suddenly the sheep, these these sheep who are so needy and everything, suddenly they're without a shepherd. It would seem silly. It would seem unthinkable. Yet that's what Jesus says here, doesn't he? Verse 11, what does he say? He says the, the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. If it's it's a wild idea for a shepherd to lay down his life for a real sheep, and there's that vast difference, how much bigger is that gap when God himself comes down, the great God-man, and he willingly lays down his life for sinful men and sinful women? You understand that that gap is far wider than the gap between a real shepherd and a real sheep. And yet he comes, and what does he do? The amazing picture of this good shepherd is that he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. There's a story told of four army chaplains during World War II. Their um, army transport ship was hit by German submarines, and it was sinking. And, And so they were helping get the men off and into the lifeboats. They worked to distribute life vests. And then when the life vests ran out, what did they do? They took off their life vests and they gave it to the men. As the ship went down, survivors in nearby rafts could see the four chaplains, arms linked, braced against the slanting deck. Their voices could be heard, offering prayers and singing hymns. One of the men who who was on the lifeboat, who survived, said this, it was the finest thing I've ever seen or hoped to see this side of heaven. One of these one of these chaplains who died, and they were later given Medal of Heroism, but one of these, he was a Dutch Reformed minister, and before he, he went to the field, he, he asked his father to pray for him, and this is what he asked him to pray. Not for my safe return, that would be unfair. Just pray that I shall do my duty. Never be a coward and have the strength, courage, and understanding of men. Just pray that I shall be adequate. Oh, how adequate he was in shepherding his people. 
shepherding his men on that ship, laying down his own life for them. And Jesus here gives us a picture, and he says that a true shepherd, this true shepherd, this good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep, for you and I. And Jesus, of course, here he's pointing forward to the cross. In the words of the apostle Peter, he's pointing forward to where he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed, for you are strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Oh, how beautiful it is that the, that the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He doesn't just watch over him. He doesn't just protect them. He, he gives himself for them. But this plan, Jesus goes on to tell us, this, this isn't just for the sheep in Israel's pen, if you will. It's not just for a Jewish pen. And that might have been what his hearers were thinking. What does he go on to say in verse 16? He says, I have other sheep. They're not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And here we're reminded of the scope and the scale of Jesus' mission. It wasn't just a mission to the Jewish people in that day. It was a mission, as, as John the Baptist said, what did he say of Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. His mission is a, a grand, a, a global scale to the very ends of the earth. Shouldn't be surprising that Ezekiel 34 talks about the shepherd coming and seeking out the lost sheep. It says this, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Ezekiel looked forward to this day when he was going to go out and bring in all the sheep. We already read that verse from verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, and I will set up over them one shepherd. One shepherd. My servant David. And he shall bring them, he shall feed them, and he shall be, be their shepherd. Bringing them in under, as Jesus says in verse 16, under one flock. One shepherd, Jesus is here speaking of, of course, the, the, this engrafting, this beautiful engrafting of the Gentiles into the people of God, which, of course, we can be so thankful of, right? That we get to be a part of the sheep, of the one fold of God. Oh, how beautiful is that picture. That there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And you and I, of course, as, as we hear this, we're, we're kind of reminded of that call to go out here, right? The, the call of, of the gospel to go and to bring in all the lost sheep. Lost sheep all the way to the north and the south and the east and the west, to the very ends of the earth, we're called to bring in the sheep, and you and I have a calling upon ourselves to share the good news of the gospel. And sometimes as, as we think about that, it can be intimidating, right? Because we think, I don't have the right words. I don't know how to say it well enough. I'm not skilled enough. This person, that person, they're so much better at this. But did you hear what Jesus said in verse 16? He didn't say they'll listen to your voice. 
said they will listen to my voice. When you share the gospel with somebody, you don't know if they're one of these sheep that, that, that Jesus is going to bring in, but if he's going to bring them in, it's going to be he that brings them in. It's going to be because as you speak, it's not going to be because of the eloquence of your words, but because of the work of his spirit that as you speak, they hear the voice of Jesus. Not about your giftedness, not about your strength, but it's about him and his strength and his voice. That voice of his, we heard earlier, even powerful enough to call Lazarus out of the tomb. Jesus says in verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There are many reasons the Father loves the Son, but this is an incredible one, isn't it? Remember, what's Jesus' all-consuming motive? But his love of the Father, his desire to do the will of the Father, and what is the will of the Father? But that the good shepherd lay down his life for his sheep. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't think about it. He doesn't wonder about it. He doesn't kick it around for a while. He, he, he goes to the cross. He goes of his own will, verse 18. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is not a victim. He laid down his life. He lays down his life for his sheep. So great is his love for the Father that he lays down his life for the sheep. And so great is his love for his sheep that he lays down his life, not, not out of force, but out of desire, out of love. He lays down his life of his own, his own accord. The good shepherd has been speaking to this crowd of people. And as we often see in the Gospels, as we've been seeing over and over in John, people respond. We have two different groups here responding. And there's a division over Jesus' words, right? In verse 20, what do we read? Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Why listen to him? Now, it seems as though this group of people, they understand what Jesus is claiming very clearly, and they want no part of it. There's no way he, this is, he could be this good shepherd. There's no way he's laying down his life for the sheep. There's no way that he's the promised one from Ezekiel 34. No way. He must be a demon. He must be insane. Well, if anything's good for them, I think they understand that it's all or nothing. Jesus is either your good shepherd or he is a demon and insane. There's a second group. Let's look at their response. Verse 21. What do they say? These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, maybe these are words that are on a pathway towards belief, that, that they're going to hear the call of their good shepherd. Or maybe there's a whole lot of deception going on here in these words. Of people not understanding that it's an all or nothing thing. 
You either take him as the good shepherd or not. There is no in-between. And if we're honest, that's so often where we live. We live in that in-between. We'll take what we want of him, and then we'll go on with the rest of our lives, living how we we want over there. We'll we'll, we'll believe what we want, but we don't take him all. You got to take him all or nothing. You got to take Jesus as he is or take none of him. He either is the good shepherd or he is not. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It seems like the people on that day didn't hear his voice. Do you hear his voice this morning? Do you hear the voice of the good shepherd? Not Steve's voice. Do you hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking to you through his word? The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Do you hear his voice? Let's pray. Oh, Father, how I pray, how I wish that we, I could force us all to hear his voice. But we pray that as your word has come before us today, that your word has gone out, I pray that it's gone out clearly. I pray that we have seen who Jesus says he is as the good shepherd who comes to protect, to watch over, and to ultimately to lay down his life for his sheep. Father, would you help us to hear the voice, the call of our shepherd and the call of our shepherd to, to, to follow, to follow him. Would you help us to know more deeply our shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep who knows us, knows us more intimately than we know ourselves. Would you be at work, oh Father, on our hearts, by your word, through your spirit. We pray this all in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.